this is this, this is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome to episode 191 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Well, that was a doozy last night. The Bruins, they found a way to lose in overtime in game five of their first round series against the Florida Panthers. And well, there's a lot of places we could start with this one guys, but I, the first thing is just a total missed opportunity comes to my mind. We'll break down how the game went, how they played the good, bad and the ugly. But for my money, the opportunity to be the first team to advance to the second round of the playoffs to get that much needed rest i felt as though going into a second round series against the leafs or the lightning i thought was very imperative for them to get that done last night considering that toronto is also a 3-1 in their series and now they may have just lost that edge of of rest and and it was a missed opportunity yeah and literally gave the game away and on a couple of those goals first goal just horrendous turnover by tyler bertuzzi in his own zone uh, obviously some sort of miscommunication with Charlie McAvoy. He, you know, expected McAvoy to stay in the slot clearly. And McAvoy was already moving behind the net. I, I still think that's on Bertuzzi because, you know, your, your first option should be the safer play, which is clearly just get it behind the net in that case. Uh, and then the game winner, obviously Linus Allmark flips it right to Carter Verhage in the corner, gets it out, uh, to Matthew Kachuk in the slot and he finishes on the backhand. And, you know, again, there's a, there's a miscommunication with Grizzly where, you know, Grizzlick's swooping in like he seems to expect to pick up the puck. Uh, Allmark's trying to play it. He doesn't see Verhage kind of drop off and, and cut off, you know, him sending it up the boards. And again, like, It's got to be on Allmark because he's the one looking at the play. He's, you know, Grizzly has his back turned to the four checker. Like, he can't see exactly wherever Hagee is. So, it's up to Allmark to put that puck out of danger. And, you know, it's bizarre. Like, we've now seen this from them the last two home games. Game two is the same thing. Just a couple, like, oh, my God type turnovers where you're like, what the hell was that? And... They didn't, they didn't do that in Florida. Games three and four, they played clean. They took care of business. They were in control. And, you know, I thought game five, they, for the most part, were the better team. Like, they controlled play. Shots, chances, all that were heavily in their favor. But you, you know, you have a, you're going to have a really hard time surviving in the playoffs when you commit two horrendous turnovers like that. And that, that decides the game. Like, they, they were chasing it in regulation. They kept falling behind by one, and then they they blow it in overtime. So yeah, huge, huge missed opportunity. Um, still feel like they're going to win the series. We'll get into that. You know, I'm not super super concerned, but yeah, you absolutely would have loved to wrap it up in five and be resting right now instead of having to go back to Florida. Yeah, I mean, they for most of that game, it felt like they were in control, and then they're but they're. They're able to score two power play goals, but it still feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities on their power play, especially some of those ones that came late um, after Taylor Hall tied the game and then they get one. It was just like, okay, well, this could be this could be their chance to to take the lead for the first time. And um, 
they didn't and they they outshot them a lot like you mentioned scott it was it's like 47 to yeah 47 to 25 and um by they they outshot them by 10 in both the second and the third periods and it really did feel like they were winning um but they were not they never led in that game at all so um they got behind early on that dumb turnover um, I'm really sick of him doing that. He just keeps doing these stupid backhand passes to no one. And like, go ahead, try those in the offensive zone if you want. Like, you know, throw throw a puck out in front of the other net on the backhand without looking if you want, but don't do it in front of your own net. Like, what are you even thinking there? Like, he had two seconds to like barely like halfway look over his shoulder. Like he didn't really know what was going on behind him, obviously. Otherwise he wouldn't have thrown it there. And even if he did have a longer time to look over his shoulder and see what was going on there, still probably don't do that. Still probably don't put the puck out in front of your own net. And, you know, everybody gets caught off guard and it just was bad. Like he wasn't one of the guys we got to talk to after the game. I don't really know what he would have said, but it was a really bad way to start the game and a few of the reporters asked questions to the players about why does it seem like you're having more of these lapses and errors on home ice and um well like you you really can't deny that it has been more at the garden than any, than in florida but um taylor hall probably gave the best answer it's a it's a hard question to answer i guess when you don't really know why but um he said it's not necessary. He said basically they're more glaring when they happen at home because the crowd gets taken out of it. And the crowd did get taken out of it after that first goal on the on the turnover by Bertuzzi. And then um, at the end of the second period, uh, they go back up by one. Uh, Florida goes back up by one. And second intermission was like quiet. Like the whole crowd had been quieted at that point. So I guess in a way he's right that it seems more glaring at home and maybe that means it's harder to come back from because you can just tell the energy is not the same. Um, though you should have an advantage at home when you have your home crowd. I mean, they got back into it. Um, and, and we can get into this too. Some guys that brought the energy back into it, Bergeron being back and getting his goal um, and Taylor Hall's goal. Also, like there was a real belief in the building that that was going to be a win for the Bruins after that Taylor Hall goal. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was a huge boost for the Bruins, uh, theoretically, to get Bergeron back. And, of course, it tangibly had an effect on the score sheet in the third period. Uh, the other thing, too, is possibly do guys start to maybe play a little bit a little bit looser because in a, in a bad way because they know that their, their captain's back. And I don't know, it just felt like in games games three and four, everybody just everybody just had to step up because they knew that they, they had no choice. And sometimes I feel like maybe you start to – get reliant on somebody coming back into the lineup. And I don't I don't think the Bruins played that way in the final 40 minutes of this game. But certainly to start this 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 game, this game five back in Boston, the first period was was not great. Uh, obviously Florida is playing for their season, but the Bruins came out and I just didn't love their effort in the first period. I thought that the second period they were all around the puck. They were territorially controlling the game. But I thought it was a whole lot of nothing. Like, I didn't think that they were very uh, good in their execution around the net. There were a lot of passes that were just off or shots that were whiffed on. They were – give 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 Florida credit. They 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 kind of caved in and they, they made a, 
a very good effort in blocking shots. But how many shots are you guys going to get blocked? Like, you're an odd man rusher. Your shots are getting blocked. Every shot from the point is getting blocked. Like, just you, you can get a shot blocked every now and then, but it just seems like it was happening too frequent in that second period. Uh, but just to bring it back to the first period, and just one, one of the things I noticed early on in the game, I think on the broadcast they mentioned that the Bruins have had average like 2.7 goals per game at home in the last like dozen or so games of the regular season. And if you if you take away games three and four in Florida, the last month of hockey for Boston has been very inconsistent, even throughout their victories. Like the, everything about it, their play, their the roster that's being on that's being put on the ice through different reasons guys on long-term injury reserve guys getting rest guys getting like the roster has been so in flux the last month and a half there's been no consistency in their lineup in their game even when they were winning and outside of games three and four in florida which obviously there wasn't a consistency in the lineup well there was for those two games but obviously there were some key guys out the, the the their game was great those two games so then you come to game five and Jim Montgomery has all these new line combinations. And Scott, you asked about it after the game. Cause I could, I could, I could recognize your voice anywhere. And uh, you asked him about the, you asked him about the, how, how he, why he changed his line so quickly in that first period. And I was watching the game and I understand changing up the lines if things aren't going well. I get that. But it felt to me that there was he just kept changing all the lines so frequently throughout the course of the game. There was no time for people to even get any runway with each other. It was just too. It was just too. It was just too random. Uh, and obviously, the Taylor Hall, Coyle, and Hathaway line you mentioned, Bridget, was a like they they were they did they played well. But I don't know. I mean, outside, we're going to talk about all the mistakes, like the Bertuzzi mistake, the 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 Allmark mistake, and there's a couple of players I want to go over in particular. I just, I just look at this team and like, of course, I have all the confidence in the world that they're going to win this series and hopefully win it in six, like I predicted. Um, but I don't well, know. It just my I, guess is out and Scott's guess is out, so it's, it's got to be yeah. yours, Brian. Otherwise, I just, I just feel like there's a lot of like, I just don't know. Which which Bruins team you're gonna see? The, the last month of hockey, dating back to the regular season, there there were a lot of sloppy wins in there, and clearly in Boston in the series it hasn't been great. Yeah, so a couple of things I want to respond to first. Bridget Taylor Hall's answer about the mistakes, I actually didn't like that answer because I thought it kind of missed the point. It did, um, well, it did definitely. It was I kind of felt like it was the only way he knew how to answer it because how do you? I don't think they really know why they made more mistakes on home ice those two games. Yeah, but to me, they're not glaring because it takes the crowd out. They're glaring because they end up in the back of the net. And Mm -hmm. they just, they weren't, they didn't make those mistakes in games three and four. Like it's not, it's not the crowd that was different. It's that they didn't do that. So uh, I actually like Tampus Lindholm's answer better, which was, you know, maybe we, maybe we were keeping things simpler on the road, which, you know, could be it. Like, Instead of Bertuzzi trying to pass into the slot, he does just chip it behind the net. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I think like there, there might be something to that. Uh, yeah, so then as far as the line changes, look, Montgomery's had this magic touch all year where it seems like every time he changes the lines, it works out. 
And that's part of the reason why, you know, down the stretch guys are able to play with different people. Uh, I, I thought he finally outsmarted himself a little bit uh, with the lines that he started the game with where, you know, I, I, I wrote this up on what Tuesday when he broke it out in practice and like, I actually, like I could see the reasoning. I, I could kind of see what he was going for, mm-hmm. especially with Bergeron and Marchand split. Um, it just didn't work. And, and to his credit, he realized it wasn't working quickly and changed, but it, it did feel like that sort of set the tone where they got off to a little bit of a slow start. They fell behind and it, took guys a while to kind of get into the game, get going. And I absolutely think, you know, he said like, you know, I don't really know if the line changes are, are why we didn't, you know, come out with the right energy or whatever. And it's hard for me to look at and think it's not related because if you're feeling out new line mates and trying to figure out how to play together, like that can absolutely contribute to a slow start where, you know, you're not really on your toes. Um, And, you know, no surprise to me, like, you get back to more familiar line combinations and it starts to look better and they start to have more shifts where they're in control at five on five. So I feel like, you know, for game six now, like go, go with the line combinations that, that got you here. And that's, you know, Marshan Bergeron, DeBrusque, which played well once they finally got together in the second period again, Bertuzzi, Zaka Pasternak, which, you know, was good down the stretch when Krejci was out. And I thought it was, Pretty solid last night. Uh, get Trent Frederick back in. I thought that was another place where Montgomery overthought it. Um, you know, leaves Lauko in. And it's like, again, I understand, you know, you want the speed. You feel like that's something that can hurt the Florida defense. Well, Lauko kind of hurt you more last night, taking two two penalties. The only two penalties the Bruins took um, that sent Florida to a power play. So, and yeah, the second one should have been both. That like that was bad, bad job by the refs. It should have been Loco and Kachuk going. So I, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on Loco, but I do think you could have used Frederick. Like he, he you know, he, he doesn't have a point in this series, but he was getting chances. I, I didn't think Frederick was playing poorly, and I just think you know, I think Montgomery fell a little too in love with the idea of like Loco no sick Hathaway and. Now you end up chain. You try Felino on third line. I thought he had a little bit of an off game. Then you move Hathaway up, and he played well there. But Hathaway is really the perfect fourth liner. So get Frederick back in his usual spot next to Coyle. Um, you know, keep Hall there, and then if you want to go Felino, Nosek, Hathaway, like I, I think that makes sense. So, uh, and that's all. You know, David Krejci has not been ruled out for Game Six yet, so that's an option, I guess. Maybe we'll find something out Thursday. Uh, Montgomery's meeting with the media around 12.15 on Thursday. So depending on when people are listening, that might have already happened. But we'll see what Krejci's status is. But otherwise, like, yeah, go go with the lines that, that got you here. You know, just think you got a little too cute trying some different combinations. Um, and that might have, you know, contributed to their slow start. Yeah, those lines were absurd. <laughs> like those those lines to start were absurd and and like you said, you can kind of see what he was trying to do and like that Bertuzzi Bergeron pasta line, it's like you put Bergeron there to for as the defensive forward on that line and to try to make up for the fact that sometimes Bertuzzi and Pasta aren't 
responsible defensively. Um, Marshawn Coyle Felino, I did not like that the, that from the beginning. Um, and Lauco, though I don't think he's played bad in the series, you can't rely on him for as many minutes as you can rely on Trent Frederick for. You're not just putting him out there for as much time. And yeah, he takes the two penalties. The second one, maybe they should have got him both him and Kachuk, but like you can't put yourself in that position. And at the at the end of the day, um, it doesn't really matter the puck ends up in the back of the net on the power play because you ended up in the box. And so um, you hurt the team. And I, I know you, it's hard to not want to get into it with Kachuk. He's a pain, um, but he won that time. I'm sure they have called both. Yes, but sometimes they don't see it that way. So you can't really do that. And that was immediately following uh, Bergeron's goal. Um, it was literally on the center ice face off seconds after he had scored so it was momentum captain scores oh my god he's back he scores and power play goal against right after so i think frederickin for sure um lauco or felino out um probably lauco but like you mentioned felino and i don't necessarily fault felino for all of this because he was one of the guys that got moved quite a bit there were chunks of the game. I, I had pointed this out to Scott in the press box that he just wasn't getting shifts for chunks of the game. And he had been out for a long time. So it's probably hard for him to get into the flow of things as well after being changed around and not playing special teams really. So um, I say Lauko out. I think they missed Frederick too, not just that um, he can give them more minutes, but I think that he plays the style you want someone to play against and like the agitators on Florida where he can be physical and he can be just as annoying after the whistles, but he hasn't been somebody that's been baited into the penalties. So um, he's a tough guy. He's still got speed. Um, and he kind of balances out those lines. If you put them back the way that they honestly should have been, I know after the end of last podcast, I said, if Bergeron comes back, the pieces start to fall into place. Well, they just blew up and like threw them in the blender. And it was, they, they absolutely did the opposite of falling into place in game five. So it was, I, I leaned over to Scott and I was like, how quickly do you think these lines get changed? And we're able like, it's, it's probably not going to last very long, but sometimes it's too late at that point. I feel like Cassidy was guilty of this last playoffs too. Like sometimes you, try something and it's by the time you decide to change it, you're already losing. Um, so I don't know. They got the perfection line back together too, which wasn't something they did most of the season. Um, but obviously pretty much every time you put it together, it functions. So, um, yeah, Bri, once again, we're like running all the bases here, but, uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on all that? It's okay. I'm I'm the third base coach. I'm rounding, I'm sending you guys home. Um, yeah, no, I think. Look, you guys, you guys hit it all in the head. I couldn't agree more. It's it's very frustrating, and it's it's. You get the sense it's like Montgomery is like tinkering with his toys too much. Like it's you 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 look at the lines, and, and you would you would think that they were down like five regulars up front. It's like they were only missing Krejci. So if you're only missing one guy, who by the way they've missed for pockets of the season, and it's like. To your to both of your points, like you win sixty five games, you're missing one guy. Why are you putting out line combinations that haven't played together all year? Why Why are you doing that? Why are you trying to Why are you trying to adjust your lineup when you're up three to one to face the Florida Panthers? 
Like you're the team that has the best record in this in the league's history. You're the team that's up three to one. You're at home. Why why do you have four brand new combinations? Is what it, and, and and then even when he changed the lines. He's going to other brand new combinations. Like we talked about the Hathaway Hall and Coil combo. Yeah, they played well, but to Scott's point, Hathaway's a third liner. And that just speaks to the fact that you had to put him up there to try to get people going. Why am I seeing a combination of, of Bertuzzi, DeBrusque, and Zaka when we haven't seen that yet? Now, sure. Did they play terribly? No. But it's just like there's a feeling out process when you have new line mates and and in the middle of a playoff series when you're up three to one, shouldn't be the time to do that. Like, so it's very frustrating to me. Also, now, with like Frederick, with Frederick in, you don't have to put Hathaway on. Like Hathaway is definitely on your fourth line if Frederick's in. So like, yeah. and and also Frederick can play center. Like, don't take that out of it. Like we've been saying things about him this whole time about how versatile he's been showing himself to be um, in the playoffs. And <laughs> you you take him out and I feel like you overdid it there. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, I, he yeah. took he took away his his own backup plan, right? Like it was like that lineup. It was like Felino had to work next to Coil because the natural backup plan, if that didn't really work, would be put Frederick there. But he wasn't even in the lineup, so mm-hmm. you, like you couldn't even make that simple switch. So it has to be Hathaway, and yeah, just 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 a little odd. Um, but yeah, I, I Sorry, fully Brian, expect cut you off again. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully expect Frederick to be back in unless he's dealing with something. But as far as we know, he's not. But like, you know, I was looking up like numbers for the series, and Frederick is like top three among forwards in shots on goal per sixty minutes, scoring chances per sixty minutes. Like he was getting chances, and they just weren't going in. And I feel like I just feel like Montgomery like overreacted a little to maybe some bad puck luck and, and sort of fell a little too in love with Lego's speed. And, um, you know, in, in the process kind of overlooked just a really good consistent season from Frederick pretty much start to finish. And it's like, I, you know, to me, I, I feel like Frederick's gone to a point where like, you got to have some trust in him and give him a little bit of leash to, to kind of figure out the finishing part of it. Like that last step, you know, if he was, if he was getting no chances and was like just clearly playing poorly and turning pucks over all over the place, I'd say like, okay, yeah, that's reason to sit a guy, but I didn't feel like that's what he was doing. So um, it, that definitely stood out as, as an odd call. He's been more of a spark too than Lauko. If you really think about all the games, like he's provided a spark there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think you'll definitely see Frederick find his way back into the lineup. I just, like, like I was saying, I just don't think, I just, I think it's very unnecessary and, and, he, and he's out, he's out coaching himself and there's no need. And as far as, as far as the way that they're playing at home, it's he, he, look, the effort, I certainly thought that the effort was there in the final 40 minutes. I, but to me, when you have a bunch of random line combinations, that explains a, a lot of the lack of execution because it's just everybody's just off a little bit. And and I think I do think Florida gets to a more simple game plan when they're on the road. And I think Florida doesn't really change the game that much when, when they're at home either. But the Bruins, like they just shoot themselves in the foot. Now, all things considered, line combinations aside, and Bridget, you mentioned the the perfection line, which I think. I don't know if I speak for the two of you, but that 
that perfection line is uh that adjective that name is so cringy to me at this point <laughs> it's like it was I cute early it was cute earlier on when like they first formed and like people like the rest of the world like didn't really know how good Pashnak was at the time and it was like yeah no this kid this kid's filthy this line's filthy but four years later it's like and they're they're not necessarily perfect and this well, is overstated yeah i mean and we're now going on two years where they haven't been a regular line like you don't you know like i i had a tweet last night because they, they got off to a good start in the first period uh Corsi was five nothing when they were on the ice they had 100 percent of expected goals and like just kind of tongue-in-cheek wrote you know some people might call that perfection um <laughs> But like, the, did yeah, Brian they, angry tweet you back after that? He he used his burner. Uh, yeah, it wasn't my account. It was yeah, something, it was, it was, something it was, else. It was an it was an egghead. Uh, mm. Yeah. Um. But like the the reality is that you know yeah you don't really get to keep a line nickname when you you haven't been a regular line in in two years. Um. And they they didn't last long in this game either. Not through their fucks. I thought they were playing well. I thought they looked good together. And you know the few minutes they got. Um, but mostly because that other line Brian mentioned, you know, Bertuzzi, Zaka DeBrusque, like that wasn't really clicking. And that was like a totally new foreign thing. So it's like, yeah, okay. You might as well just switch DeBrusque and Pasternak because then you get two combinations that everyone knows and, and, you know, has been playing together. So, um, yeah, that, that did give them a little bit of spark for a little while. And then they settled into more natural lines. This, this whole conversation reminds me of something and, and, it, it's been something that I've heard talked about and, and um, you know, you want to get Pasternak going and he just hasn't really been going in this series. And some of it's puck luck. Some of it's, I don't know, being on all these different line combinations. Um, but what do you guys think of Pasternak just in the series and has he been set up for success or do you see areas where it's just like, why aren't they utilizing him this way? Or why is it, is it on him? Is it on the lines? Is it on just not getting that bounce sometimes? I think it's a hundred percent on the player. I think I've, I've been, I've been very disappointed in him in this series and it sucks because the narrative going into the playoffs by a lot of talking heads and a lot of people who just love to hate is bashing him because, you know, can he do it when when the playoffs matter? And people falsely say he's not, but he hasn't been a playoff player. That's not true. Going into this year, Pasternak has very much been a point per game guy, if not better, throughout his career in the playoffs. So he's done it before. But the whole narrative of, of oh he's soft and he and he'll go invisible when when player when teams check him harder and game plan for him. I've I've never felt that that has been accurate. But I but I did caution the three of us heading into this, into the series, into these playoffs that, that, that life's going to change for him in the postseason. It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy for him. He's not going to be getting these highlight real goals and these breakaway goals, these one-timer goals, because you're the playoffs amplifies teams are game planning for you, all these things. So while I never co-signed on him being soft in the postseason, I did, I did coast. Like I knew it was going to be tougher for him. And I, that's why I said it's so important for him to find a way to elevate his game and match that intensity so he can carry that game from the playoffs to the, from the regular season to the playoffs. And the fact of the matter is, guys, I don't care what line you're on. I don't care what you're, what you're dealing with. Like, when you go out there and score 62 goals, expectations are going to be sky high. And that's because you place them that way. And you cannot just be a guy out there 
an ordinary guy with 62 goals with a 62 goal season. And, and it's not like he's dominating out there and just is snake bitten. He's, he really is for the most part. He's just a guy out there. He's invisible. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not making Florida. Like Florida is very much looking for him every time he's on the ice and, and they're covering him like white on rice. I get that, but he's turning the puck over, which is something that he's been doing all year. He's, and on the power play, it's like he's supposed to be one of the biggest threats in the league on the power play to score. And it just seems like the puck dies in a stick. He'll just blindly just turn. Bridget, you talked about Bertuzzi with the blind passes and the turnovers, which is true. Pasternak does it on the power play constantly and it, it, right into the slot and they just ice the puck. And it just it kills the power play. And one of you guys mentioned how, yeah, they scored a couple power play goals, but boy, do they have some really bad power plays outside of those goals that killed momentum for them and of course at the end of the game they had a chance to and and he like he he Bergeron got kicked out of a face-off Pashnak goes in there and you know barely even attempts to win the draw gets a puck on a stick right to the slot down the ice okay now we're going to overtime and I know that's a specific example but Bridget just to answer your question and to throw it back to Scott I've I've been it's been glaring how he, how ineffective he's been yes he has the two goals but he also is like eighth or ninth in the team in scoring right now in the playoffs. And the the uh, the battle level t- for my liking just hasn't really been there t- where it needs to be. And you watch somebody like Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton, and he'll get in there and get nasty and and, and, and do his thing. I think Pasternak's too nice out there sometimes. And I know he's a 62-goal scorer, and I'm not going to tell him how to play hockey. But when you've done that, you have to, you have to be somewhat that guy in, in the playoffs. Yeah, that – so I dug into some of the numbers this morning um, and posted them on WEI in my article. Uh, by the way, I apologize if anyone hears the train horn, Charlie McAvoy's coming through. So, uh, uh, but because my my gut on Pasenak was like, I, I disagree a little bit with the idea that he's been invisible. I actually think he's been a little. The first two games, that line was awful at five on five and we talked about that and Krejci was a big part of it he was really struggling and now hasn't played since um I think he's been better I'm not gonna say great I think he's been better at five on five and some of the numbers back that up his like when I looked at it because I wanted to find all right what's been different this series versus regular season aside from the goals and points his five and five numbers in terms of like shots, scoring chances, expected goals, like, you know, the rates of all that pretty much in line with this regular season shooting percentages down, which that goes into the, oh, all right. Part of that is, you know, you got to work harder to finish. Part of it's also maybe just some bad luck. And, you know, Jim Montgomery, maybe this is just trying to build a player up, but he kind of chugged up to bad luck after the game said, you know, they'll start to go in. He's too good for it not to. He actually, you know, praised his hard work, thought he won some battles, which last night in particular, I would agree with. I, I actually thought whatever line he was on tended to be pretty good last night and, and was getting zone time and creating chances. Um, the two goals against that he was out there for, not his fault. One was the Bertuzzi turnover and one was the Elmark turnover in overtime. Um, but that didn't that start with Pasta accidentally clearing it the length of the ice the wrong way? Was it Pasenak or Martian? I thought it was Martian that made the pass back. I have to double check. But um, yeah. 
but where like where the numbers are way different and where I suspected they would be is the power play, which, oh, and by the way, five and five has turnover rate down from regular season. So that's good on the power play way up turnover rate, way up shots, scoring chances, all that way down. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, well the power play is still over 30% for the series. So they've been able to score without Parson not getting a ton of shots. So I would say, don't start force feeding the puck just to try to get Pasternak going. Like if, if other guys are the ones scoring and getting chances, then keep doing that. What I worry about is it feels like Pasternak is because he's not getting as many chances is trying to force more when the puck does get to his stick. And I think that's why you see those turnovers and why you see some of those sloppy passes and you see him trying to get through multiple defenders on entries instead of, making simple plays, just dishing to a teammate or chipping it in and going to get it with speed. And like, to me, that's like the number one thing I want to see change is like, stop forcing on the power play. If his role in the power play has to be facilitator or even decoy because teams are, you know, shading him or even almost doubling him, then so be it. Like the other guys are scoring on the power play right now. So he doesn't have to force it. And I kind of feel like he has been. Um, And that's, so that would be my biggest concern that the five and five stuff, I think, I think something will come back. Yeah. Yeah. He can be better there, but he's getting chances. His line's getting chances. They're not going in. I tend to believe that over time that changes, like more chances will start to go in. So not as worried about the five on five. I like that. He's not turning the puck over as much there power play though. He kind of, kind of looks like a mess and it's almost like he's getting frustrated that he's not scoring, even though the team still is. And that's why I think you see some of these sloppy power plays where, you know, he's kind of at the center of some bad plays. Um, You know, so I think he, I think if he can be, more selfless in the sense of not trying to get his like eventually he will get his, you know, if if the Bruins are moving the puck well and other guys getting chances, eventually teams are not going to be able to shade him as much. So then he'll open up. Like that's kind of the, the natural order of things is, you know, a good power play takes what's being given to them. Um, And I feel like Parsonak's not really doing that right now. I, I just double checked and went back and it was Marshawn that made that pass that didn't connect with anyone. And then that's how come Allmark was out playing it behind his net. But um, that play happened so fast in real time and <laughs> I thought it was pasta. So I, I packed all my stuff up and I ran downstairs because I knew it was going to be like two seconds. Like it, there was no celebrating after that game. Montgomery was going to be at the stand immediately. So anyway, um, in, in terms of, pasta a a few more things because we can transition into something else that I'm thinking of that's related but um he I think I'm like in between you guys maybe a little bit like he hasn't been nearly as effective as you would expect or need him to be um like like you mentioned when you see how far down he is on like Bruin scoring you you're probably a little bit surprised and I think at times he was I mean, he was not nearly the most noticeable player on the ice and you want him to be one of those guys for you. So he did at times disappear, I think. 
Um, and at least in a way that wasn't like, okay, he's just kind of out there. And and sometimes it's Bertuzzi that's more noticeable on the ice. And um, just he definitely has another gear. Um, and teams should be afraid when it starts to look like he's hitting that gear. But he's not quite there yet. And that brings me to, like, the next question, which is if Krejci's back in the lineup, is that something that could kickstart that maybe for him? I mean, he's somebody that has been playing. That's been the the natural spot for him all season, right? The check line has been the line he's played on the most. Um, do you think that factors in if Krejci were to come back um, and get Zaka, Krejci, and Pasternak back together, that that just gives him a little bit more familiarity or, or you know, just – a nudge in the right direction because Krejci's a good playmaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would do that. I feel like, and and just I, I guess just like one one last thing I would just say about that that conversation a minute ago, like Scott, like I hear everything you said and 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 I get that, but at the I guess at the end of the day, and I, I don't make the, mean to make this black and white, but like he has to, he has to score for them. Like he he has to be a finisher. That's what he's paid to do. That's what he's the best at in the world second to Connor McDavid apparently like it's just a couple like like scoring chances going up a little bit at five on five or being at least what they were in the regular season alone when he's doing what he's been doing on the power play and like it just has it has to be better he has to execute it's just it's just the nature of the business that they're in Um, yeah and I, I do think some like some of that from the finishing perspective too is like his shot has just been a little off like he's had some good looks where he's missed the net or put it right in the goalie's gut. And it's like, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe that changes with confidence. Maybe you see one and, and, you know, you get going, but he has definitely like missed a couple good chances where you're like, uh, like you usually expect him to bury that. And it's just been a little off. Yeah. It's like, if this game, if this series goes seven, it's just, it just seems like, well, how did, how, what did pass not do through six games? And if it stays two points, it's like, well, that's probably a big reason why it's going seven. Uh, Bridget, great question. I, I think, I think that personally, I think um, games one and two, I was, I was honestly surprised to see Krejci. Well, I guess I wasn't because Bergeron was out. So they needed Zaka to, to step up, but yes, I didn't like Krejci with Pasternak when they were with Bertuzzi, but to your point, the check line was great all year that they were together. And I think that if Krejci comes back, I think you should do Krejci, Zaka, and Pasternak. I think that they've been really good all year. I oddly enough, I feel like Pasternak needs Zaka in a way. Like, like he, like I feel like Zaka, like and, and Pasternak have great chemistry, and he plays at the speed at which Pasternak can play with. And Krejci just does; he does fit well on that line. So if if Krejci's back for Game Six, I would absolutely go back to really. Aside from that third line, which will have to be tinkered with, but I would say if Krejci's back in the lineup, just go back to everything that kind of got you to where you were before all those injuries started to pile up in February, I would say. So I would do Bergeron, Marchand, and Nebraska. I would do the check line. You'd have to get creative with that third line. I would imagine I would imagine the combo we've never seen that we always talk about with Hall, Coyle, and Bertuzzi, and then maybe Fred. I don't know. I I. I it's tough that bottom six. We've never seen it fully healthy with their with their whole arsenal of players. But I definitely that top six. I would, I would definitely go back to that top six. Isn't it crazy that there hasn't yet been a game in this series where the Bruins have had all their centers, like all of their centers healthy? So then you can't 
put those pieces into place. Yeah, and on Krejci, like, I guess if he comes back, he, I, I want to make sure he is as close to fully healthy as possible because he can't come back and look the way that he did in games one and two. Like, that, that Krejci doesn't help you. Like, honestly, he was probably hurting them more than helping in those games. So, you know, hopefully you take the same approach as you did with Bergeron, which is they, they didn't rush it. Like whatever it was he was dealing with, they let it heal and he looked pretty good in his first game back. And presumably, you know, if, as long as he doesn't re injure or re aggravate or whatever, we'll continue to look even better. Um, I want them to like make sure that they do the same thing with Krejci where, you know, don't, okay, hey, we just lost. Like, don't panic and get him back in if he's going to be 65% because you, the lineup they had last night is good enough to win. Like, you should be able to beat the Panthers with that lineup. So I don't want to force Krejci back in until he's really ready and healthy enough to be effective because he was not effective in games one and two. So, like, I, I don't want him to just get back to that point where, okay, he can play, he can go out there, but is he actually doing anything? Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of have my doubts as to whether he's going to play in game six, but he has been skating on his own the last couple of days. So he's been on the ice um, Wednesday, Tuesday. He really wasn't doing a whole lot of shooting, which, you know, maybe that suggests it's something we know it's upper body, but maybe it's something arm related or shoulder hand, like, you know, it could be something that would affect his shooting um, or handwork in general. Uh, Wednesday, he was doing a little bit more of that. So I guess that's, you know, a step in the right direction. So we'll see. But if he's going to be like way less than, you know, even 90%, then I'm not, I'm not forcing it. Mm. No, because he's already, you know, we've, not not to be mean, but he's one of the older players on the team. So he's already a little bit um, behind some of the, say, Kachucks of the world and that are out there playing at just such a crazy um, pace um, and also playing very physical. <laughs> so uh, they're able to throw you off your game a little bit easier if you're only at 90% or so um, or less. Um, and it's been cryptic with Krejci once again. This is going to be something that's going to be a game time decision. Um once again, and um, not sure we'll really know until puck drop because that last game or the, the first game that he was taken uh, that he didn't play, he actually took warmups. And um, then all of a sudden it was like he's not in, um, which they knew he wasn't going to be in. But to us, like we're like seeing him out there and we're not thinking anything of it. But now um, we'll probably wait until actual puck drop to – uh, be sure, I guess you could say. Um, Bergeron, they said the same thing about him, though. I had the suspicion that if he took warm-ups for game five, he was going to play. Um, and he had also practiced in those lines, the horrible lines that we – can we just forget about those and throw those out? Um, yeah, we can if Montgomery does. If he puts <laughs> one again next game, I'm, we got to keep I'm looking at him. talking to you, Jim. Can we just – Forget Jim, that those existed. Like Jim didn't seem day. Jim didn't seem so jolly after last night's game, huh? Even even in the past, he's always been a little bit optimistic after a loss. You could kind of tell in his voice and his demeanor, he was he was pretty pissed off about that one. Well, just think about how you lost. Like 
I, I still am stunned what I saw in the la- in the last 20 seconds of that game. Like it is so like it, it was just devastating. Like you you've kept yourself in it. You've chipped back every time you go down. You have one of the best goalies in the league who stops stuff that he has no business stopping. He's making saves with his face. Like he's kicking off the pads. Like he's having the best season. He's so good. And then all of a sudden this, this like uncharacteristic thing happens. And I feel like this happens more in the playoffs somehow that a goalie goes behind the net and and accidentally plays it to someone that just like wraps it in and scores or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. Craig, Craig Smith against the Capitals a couple of years ago. Yeah, like yeah. it's like that's such a bad way to lose. Like you you beat yourself at the end of it all. Like it, it that's it's hard to walk right from seeing that to the press conference and like I feel like everybody in the building was shell shocked in a way, players, fans, coach, <laughs> um, because it's not like oh we could have done this better, blah blah blah. Like to to stop that last play from happening. Like it was something fundamental. Like that. it was like this weird fluky thing that Allmark is usually pretty good at coming out and playing pucks. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't in game five. He made another mistake earlier in the game. And then he, he shot the puck into the Florida bench at one point and had to apologize. Uh, he like shot it clear into their bench um, point blank, but <laughs> it was just one of those, ways of losing that it's it's you don't see it coming it happens it happens it happens to other teams it doesn't happen in the bruins like you to your point bridget you see that happen all the time in playoffs the regular season like you'll see it on twitter or you'll see it on and you're like and 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 your reaction is like oh my god what an idiot that sucks for that fan base it's like that never happens to the, the bruins the bruins lose hey outside of 2011 the bruins have found a way to lose every single year just like most teams but they never they never oftentimes beat themselves like that that was like that was like when, when when you hear people say like over 20 years like how patriots fans would always watch other teams just play such pedestrian football but the patriots would never make those fundamental mistakes like this is that was just a fundamental mistake where it's like dude you're the goalie yes you've been handling the puck well this year yes you're allowed to play the puck i that's part of the position but buddy it's overtime of a playoff game like can you have a little bit more conviction and, and decisiveness when you go behind the net to play the puck and not just do it? Like you literally just gave the game away. Now you can you can cast some blame to to Grizzly, I guess, if you want a little bit. But like to me, that's 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 all, Mark. And I'm, he and had I'm not a weird gonna... handoff to Lindholm earlier in the game too. It's, and it's like just, you just can't do it. You just can't do that. I doubt he does it again. Well, I think I, you know, we won't see him probably go too far outside the net. I mean, that 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 being said, in his post game comments, he kind of was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> of course, he's gonna he's gonna play <laughs> it that way. Drug, like, yeah, he was he was Ted Lasso. You know, you get to have brain of a goldfish. Just forget about it. He, yeah, he was like just as calm as I've ever seen him. Truthfully. Um, and which, which by the way, cause like, I already see, like, I've seen people like freak or not really freaking out, but like kind of upset with all Mark's comments. Like he, like he wasn't, he didn't seem mad enough. And like, we used to hear those with Tuga too. And it's like, guys, like that, this is how goalies are. Like this is, it's honestly part of like being a successful goalie. It's just like, if you let every little mistake drive you crazy and you start 
throwing shit around. You, you know, you pull Chris Sale and you're banging stuff around. Like that that doesn't work for a goalie. Like like you're gonna you're gonna be out of the league in two years because you're gonna be a head case. Like part of the reason goalies get to this level and are successful is because they legitimately do just forget about stuff two minutes later. And Scott, remember, we have to remember to bring this up to Razor this weekend. Yeah, and like they they don't dwell on it. They move on. They have to turn the page, not just after a game, but in game. Like you give up, you, you get beat glove side on, you know, long wrist or a soft goal. You can't sit there the rest of the game hating yourself, kicking yourself. Like you got to regroup and make the next save, which could be 12 seconds later. So, you know, I just think like people want, athletes to sound like fans and be like all worked up about stuff and it's like them not doing that is part of the reason that they are professional athletes and not fans so like don't don't worry about Linus Allmark not sounding mad enough at himself like he's yeah like he hates that he did that he's it's not no matter how he sounds it's not like he's sitting there like oh well whatever no big deal like who cares like no, he like he he does care. He knows he made a mistake, but he's not gonna sit there and be like, "I suck," and start throwing his equipment all over the locker room in front of the media. Like that's not, it's just no. not gonna happen. No, oh, that, so that that doesn't help anything at all for him. Yeah, his personality has, is very consistent though. Like th- that is how he's been after games the entire year. Um, this time, maybe you think he might be a little different because doesn't usually end like that like we said but there's only one other game this year that had like a weird last second ending like that which wasn't even completely the Bruins fault was that Arizona game where they should have called icing and the puck came back out in front with like seven seconds left or whatever it was and they they scored um I don't even know if it was all marking net for that actually I think, was, but I think it was Swayman yeah I think it was um and yeah. uh, oh well so that's another thing well, and, so there, and there was the game. There's the game in Florida, the late tying goal too, where Pasternak gave them the lead in the final minute, and then they blew it in the last second and lost. Yeah, and was that an overtime or a shootout? But um, yeah, like those are the other ones that kind of stuck out in terms of just you know, it, we've just been become so accustomed to this team closing games out or finishing them off or not making those mistakes that that beat themselves. But um, yeah, it 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 does happen sometimes and like scott i I don't know if you have any additional opinions on that final play it's one of those plays like we we've mentioned it there's really nothing else we can really dissect it was a it was a massive mistake it was a costly game costing mistake of course so like we can sit here and, and and analyze every step of the every step of that play but it's you know they screwed up all hopefully it's a one-off well, and, and I guess, look, I guess the only question to that would be spawned from this would be, and this is not necessarily what I believe, but the question that I think people would ask would be, is that blunder that cost the team a game? Is that enough to maybe finally get a goalie rotation going here just because it's been, he's, he's played a lot of hockey. Like, does that mistake happen? I mean, look, I, I also didn't love, um, I don't I don't know. I mean, whatever. I'm not going to analyze the Bennett goal, but Scott, is there is there a reason for people to, to, to actually question if Swayman should play in game six? I would say not because of that mistake, because I'll, I chugged that up as just a really fluke play and, and an error that you just don't see that much. Um, I would say if there's any concern about 
wear and tear or, you know, if Montgomery and goalie Bob look at, look at the tape and think Allmark, you know, maybe look a little slow on some plays or, or whatever. And, and think, you know, he's potentially slowing down now having started five straight, potentially going on six straight with, you know, travel, a travel day in between today. If that's the case, then I would be absolutely be open to Swayman. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it because of that mistake. And I, I wouldn't even do it because of play. Cause I, I didn't think, I didn't think Mark had a bad game. Like he, all the goals were, you know, I guess you could say like he could have stopped a couple of them, but they, they would have required really good saves. Like they were mostly kind of point blank chances. Um, so I'm not, yeah, like he got a little scrambly on the Duclair one where it's sort of bouncing around, but that was such, you know, it was first such a bad play by Bertuzzi, and then it's kind of, it, it turns into a scramble because of what Bertuzzi does, and everyone's just trying to cover their ass, and, and you know, per, like they actually do take away the first shot from Verhage, and he has to hold it, and then it's kind of when he flips it back out front. So uh, I don't think Allmark played poorly other than the final turnover. So I, I wouldn't be making any change because of that. But if, you know, and like, we just don't know this, but if they look at it and think they see signs of wear and tear or, or you know, Almark's hurting a little bit, then I've said all along, I'm totally fine with switching to Swayman at any point because I think Jeremy Swayman's really good. And he was really good in the second half of the season. And, you know, if anything, at this point, I'd be a little bit worried about Ross because it's now been, you know, several weeks since he's played a game. Uh but I wouldn't have too much hesitation going to him. I think Omar goes right back in and plays angrier than he's ever played. <laughs> and I think I, I, I once again think you open yourself up for the opportunity for fans and media and sports talk radio or whoever to criticize Jim Montgomery if he makes this move too and it doesn't work out. Now you're going to game seven. Um, because you're playing a, a Swayman that's not been in action and maybe doesn't look great. You, you never know. Like, I feel like Allmark hasn't played himself out of the job despite that horrendous play at the end of the game. Um, and I feel like he is going to want an opportunity to redeem himself immediately. Um, and that that could actually do a lot for his confidence. Um, and I don't know. I keep him in there um, because of like I said, he hasn't played bad. He's still in the swing of things. And oftentimes you see when someone does that at the end of a game or, or has such a horrible mistake, they come back and they play differently the next game. They sometimes reach, you know, a, a higher level. Um, and it could be what they need to close out the series. So um, I think he plays again, honestly. I, I doubt it. Swayman, not that it, but there always is going to be the conversation, right? Because Swayman's good enough to put him in at any time. So um, just based off of what I've seen and the like psyche of it, I think that goes in. I, I feel like it's going to be Allmark again in game six. Um, I think you have to keep going with them. And otherwise, once again, you're, you're taking your number one out of the lineup. And then you have, if you're having all these other changes and, on your offense, you're not seeing the picture that we all saw during the regular season, which was, you know, all of these lines that were the best, you know, best combinations and working and working and working the whole season. Um, 
you just, I just want to see it all together. I just want to see all of it in one game put together. Even if they don't have Krejci, can we just not F around with the lines so much and put Bergeron and Marshawn and DeBrus together? And like, it just, can we just use what works all at once for game six? Well, yeah, if, if the, if health permits it, I guess, I guess that's the, that's the biggest reason we haven't no, seen but even it. Even if Krejci's out, Theoretically, the rest of everyone is healthy enough, and that Bertuzzi, Zaka, Pasenak line will suffice as that second line, and I will count yeah. as like a line that works and we know works because we've seen it. So that is a, a credible line because it's been together since Krejci was dealing with soreness or maybe an injury at the end of the, the regular season and was missing time too. So like to me, <laughs> that's fine. Like if Krejci's out, you can still see – if you put together the pieces that way, just have it all together for one for one freaking game. Yeah, and that and that would that would entail Frederick coming back, drawing back in yeah, because that's that's that would that's what would allow that too because you've seen it all mm-hmm. year. I think you know there's so I'm gonna there's one play I wanted to mention quickly too, but but I and I know we're, we're getting up against it, but we haven't even talked about the defense yet, and um, <laughs> I just want to say real quick. A lot of this conversation today would be moot, and we wouldn't even be talking about a game six. Um, no, if Brad Marchand scored on that last second breakaway, which would have ended the series right then and there, so that that was a backbreaker. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not faulting Marsh. Like, you know, it was it was a it was a hard shot. Like he shot to score. I think he was rushing a little bit because he wanted to get the shot off. And and I well, think yeah, he, if he didn't, it would have been the time would have expired. It was like last yeah, second. I, I, like, I do think he had I do think he had time for for a head a head well he didn't know that I that's, wouldn't that's, that's that. what I'm saying. That's what that's what I'm saying. He didn't he probably he didn't have time. time for like what Taylor Hall did last no. game, right? Like they kind of come in and then almost like stop in the crease, tuck it back. Like that he didn't have time for that. So, so. devastating if he scored yeah. like that, but it was like half a second late. Oh, yeah, well, God. it's just it's it's it sucks because you kind of when that happened, you kind of were like, all right, they're gonna find a way to probably maybe lose this game in overtime, just because it's just that's just how hockey works. It, I had I had, a, I had a sick feeling, not just because of the goal didn't go in, because I was like, oh, that's just that could have ended the series, and 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 if Florida wins this game, which they did, I mean, they're going back to Florida now, like with all the momentum. And look, am I confident that if the Bruins lose Game Six, they're gonna win Game Seven? Despite how they've played at home in the series so far, yeah, I'm still confident they haven't lost. Have they lost three games in a row all year? I don't know, but like, I just don't want, I don't want the headlines. I don't want the prospect of Florida coming back to Boston for a game seven, with the momentum of let's pull off the biggest upset in league history after being down three to one, nonetheless. So, and this is and 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 it's a to go to go and beat a team three times in a row on their home ice, which is what the Bruins are tasked with right now. What are the odds of that happening? So this series very well may go seven games, and I don't like that um, at all. And I certainly want you guys to respond to to that idea of a potential game seven, I guess. But on the back end, like, can we all agree? Like, can we get can we get Clifton back in there? Can we can we get him in there for a little spark plug? Like, can we can we take out Forbert or can something? Can he come out? Clifton go back in? Yeah, I. I think I probably would put Clifton in for Forbert. Like I, you know, Forbert's played every game and I get that the penalty kill for the most part has been pretty good. And he's a big part of that. 
I, I thought they showed down the stretch that they can kill penalties without them. And like, yeah, you may be asking a little more from, you know, your McAvoy, Lindholm, Orlovs, and they get more shorthanded time than, than you might like, but they can do it. And I just think five on five, like they're, they're struggling to find, they haven't really had like a third pair that worked. Like Forbert Clifton wasn't playing very well early in the series. Clifton comes out, Grizzly goes in. That Forbert Orlov looked good for a game and then, you know, looked a little off at times. Like it's not, Orlov was making great, great plays to set up goals, you know, with a few stretch passes. But that's not really an ideal pairing to me. And then last night they moved Orlov up at one point. They went with Forbert Grizzly for a little while. And I don't really like that pairing either. I don't love Grizzly on his offside. So nothing like nothing really feels natural when it's Forbert in and you're putting either Orlov or Grizzly on their offside with him. Um, or even at times like Carlo dropped down for a couple shifts. I, I worry about the mobility of a Forbert Carlo pairing. So yeah, it, it does. There's a little bit of like trying to, you know, square peg in a round hole there. And that gets solved if you bring Clifton back in because I, I've said for a while, I think their best five on five D pairs are Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, Orloff Clifton. Like we saw that quite a bit down the stretch when Forber was out injured and I thought it worked really well. And, and for whatever reason, they seem Montgomery seems like very hesitant to roll with that now. And, you know, even down the stretch, like he try he would try going Orlov with McAvoy more, and like he went Grizzly Clifton for a while, which I also don't love. And it's like at some point, I'm like, I don't like. Am I just am I seeing that wrong? Like, am I am I off base, or why does that lineup not make all the sense in the world? Grizzly McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, Orlov Clifton. You have puck movers on every pairing. You have guys who are defensively sound. Like you have balance, you have your top three defensemen are going to be on the, one of them is going to be on the ice at all times. Like, I don't know. It, it just, it seems like a really good thing. It worked well when they did use it. And I would like to see in the playoffs. Like it's, it's a little odd to me that they've been so resistant to, to going to that. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to see in the playoffs in terms of this lineup. Um, to talk about the defense quickly. Carlo has had a really good series. I think Carlo has been one of their most solid players. He has just been clearing out in front of the net, clearing out pucks, clearing out players, making the right plays, just like fundamentally good hockey from him and and what you want him to be. Um, Especially he's a great penalty killer as well. Grizzly, once you brought him in has done nothing to be taken out of the lineup. I think he's played well since he was put back in. Um, So it's not like you're just switching him back out. I for Clifton, uh, I wouldn't do that. And um, I, I agree. I actually was someone at the beginning of the series that thought maybe they didn't put Forbert back in because they liked what that Orlov Clifton pair looked like, and like maybe waited a little bit deeper in the series to put Forbert in. <laughs> um, but that's not what's happened. So um, I'm cool with putting Clifton back in. I saw him yesterday down after the game, um, but. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the defense is really like the biggest issue though. Like I feel like 
all of the defensemen have played pretty solidly. Like no one has played themselves out of the lineup. It's more just that trying to find the right matchups and um, Clifton's faster than Forbert, better puck mover. Um, not as big, not clearing bodies as easily as Forbert, not blocking hits shots more. the same he way. Hit, he, he hits, hits more than more. him. He hits better than yep. him. He's he more hits physical. Better. He is um, feistier in a way. Like he's like more after the whistle stuff. Um, and I'm, I would like to see him back in there. Yeah, I would. Um, it, not that anybody, like I said, has played themselves out of the lineup, but matchup wise, if you're trying to make a change um, and add some of those things, like we just mentioned, Clifton can add, just throw him back in there um, in Florida. I, I don't see why not. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see Clifton back in there. I, I think that hand up earlier in the series or before the series started, I didn't, I didn't mind Grizzly being the odd man out and giving Forbert at least reps to get his feet under him. And I didn't, I, I, I liked the idea of his, of his size and box out ability against a Matthew Kachuk against a Barkov or a Bennett or whom, Ryan, whomever. I just liked that a little bit better than Grizzly's ability to do that in, earlier on in the series. And I, and I definitely said that acknowledging that it would be sacrificing some transition game and mobility in the, in the meantime. But I, I've wanted, I've wanted Grizzly in the lineup um, ever since post game two, for sure. And I just, yes, they played well in games three and four, but I, I, I still think even when they were winning in Florida and, and certainly in game five, I think they've missed like Clifton's ability to just be a spark plug back there and to, to step up with a big hit. I just don't, I don't feel like outside of Charlie McAvoy uh, and Carlo here and there, I just don't feel like the, the Panthers forwards have been challenged physically enough by Boston's defense. Orloff gets his nose in there too, but I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a forward have to think when they're coming across the blue line, oh, this, this kid might step up when I'm not looking and put me on my ass. And, and, and Clifton does that as well as anybody in the team, probably behind McAvoy. So I, I think, and he can move the puck. He can break the puck out on his own with his feet if he needs to. And I think that sometimes when you're in a tough game that's heavily forechecked and it's tight checking, sometimes you need that so you don't get hemmed in your zone. And he has that ability. And despite that one half ice rush by forward last night, he doesn't he doesn't really uh, bring that to the table very often. So I wouldn't mind Clifton in there. One note I wanted to mention to you guys too, worth mentioning, four-game uh, four goal streak for Taylor Hall in the postseason. I'm. I, they had a, they had a stat on the, on the TV last night about the last Bruin to do that, but I think it's been a while. Um, so I mean, clearly he's been really good, especially the fact that he didn't play a lot in the last couple months of the season or at all really. Uh, we haven't noticed. We talked about Pashnak being uh, being having having a non-productive series for the most part. Well, if Taylor Hall does, isn't doing what he's doing, I think it's an even bigger storyline. But Taylor Hall has kind of stepped up in that role. If Taylor Hall isn't doing what he's doing, this is a different series. Like I know some of the some of the goals happened, like the one in game two didn't end up meaning anything. And then the but the one in game five, even though you lose, like that was a very impactful goal. That's a game tying three on three goal in the third period. Um and he has just been like I felt like Every time he's got the puck on his stick, it's like, is it going to go in? Because it just kind of feels like he's got that touch right now. 
And I don't know if maybe Jim Montgomery is a psychic in terms of Taylor Hall, because he said that if he was to guess who was going to have a huge series, it was going to be Taylor Hall. And he would be right about that. Not sure he foresaw, you know, these lines in a dream or something and those need to go away. But um, Taylor Hall has been playing so well that he is tied with Connor McDavid, I believe, in goal in goals uh, this playoffs and one goal behind Dreisaitl for the best goal scorer in the playoffs. Um, and he stepped up where some of the other guys haven't and, and produced where one Pasenak hasn't. Um, and he's just, he's been able to stick to what, what he's good at his skating, his, you know, puck possession, his like being able to burn you with speed. And he's just been outworking people. So um, simple as that. He's had a great series. I'm glad you mentioned him because don't want to gloss over him because he's been so big. Um, and hopefully, I mean, he's your third, he's on your third line. Like you need that kind of production from your, your bottom six and he's giving it to you. You just would like to see the top six um, fill in the rest of the scoring there. Yeah. He Taylor Hall talked earlier in the series about how, you know, he recognized that like, this is probably the best chance certainly the best chance to this point in his career to win the Stanley cup and possibly the best chance he'll ever have. And he's playing like someone who fully understands that um, and really wants to make the most of it and wants to make sure he's not having any regrets or, you know, cause he talked about that too. He said like they're especially goals against, he said he's been on the ice for goals against in recent postseasons that he regretted that, you know, he thought like should, should have been a little better. Like, lost his focus made for a split second and that proved costly. So yeah, I think you, you see someone who understands that and has rose to the occasion. Um, you know, I, I still think, like I said, I think they're going to win this series. In my opinion, it's probably going to be in game six because I thought they were the, I thought they were the better team for most of game five. And if they don't make two, you know, unbelievably stupid mistakes that have been uncharacteristic for them. They probably win that game. Um, so I, you know, I think those are fixable. I think they'll clean it up and I think they probably finish this in six, but um, yeah, could, can always use more guys who uh, have the mindset that Taylor Hall has right now, which is someone who's, who's locked in and bringing it on every single shift. And Brian, to go back to something you said a second ago, just because you asked the question, they did lose three three games in a row, one time during the regular season, and it, which was Tampa, Florida, Carolina, which is obviously a really tough stretch stretch mm. of games. Um, best those are the best. The what other was that games. was that back in like November or something? Or? That was in January. Yeah, um, yeah, that was right around the All Star break. The funny yeah, thing right, is, right. the loss to Florida was a four to three overtime loss. Um, same as yeah, that that was five. that was the one where they scored in like the final seconds after yeah. Pasenak had put them in the lead. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that was, was the a, that was only time stretch. they've lost three in a row. Which obviously, the Panthers have to win the last three games here in the series in order to move on. Um, the Bruins had three whacks at a win. Um, now they only have two, <laughs> but they did um, coming into game five. And the other thing, the other stat is, and obviously things are different in the playoffs. Bruins have only lost four home games in the entirety of the regular season, and they've lost two in the playoffs. Um, they, so, they lost four home games all year or four home games in regulation? 
four home games and like four like actual losses, like regulation losses. Okay, I was gonna say that's that's a lot less than I thought it may have been. It's, but, I mean, four, it's... only four regulation losses at home all season, hmm. and they have you know two two losses two losses in the playoffs. Um, obviously this one's overtime, but you don't get you don't get points for going to overtime in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it, it'd be hard. I, it'd be hard to see them losing a game seven, like losing three of their four home games. Like, mm-hmm. but it happens. It, it happens. happens. Yeah. But that's why you can't put too much weight on regular season. That's all why the you time. can't predict a sweep Scott. <laughs> hey, um, Rook, Rook. They would have swept if Bergeron played every game. Yeah, of course they would have. Uh, I, 60 seconds or less. I had one more question comment for you guys. A big talking point we had on this podcast for about, oh boy, I'd say at least a month or so heading into the postseason was the the slump, the lack of looking like himself. And of course, I'm talking about Brad Marchand at the time. And the question was, is this going to translate to the playoffs? Is this going to carry over to the playoffs? Or can he just flip the switch? And fortunately for everybody that's cheering for the Bruins uh, he's flipped the switch. He has four goals in the series and he outside of the goals, skating wise, confidence wise, playmaking wise has seemed a hell of a lot more closer to the Martian that we've gotten to know here in Boston. And maybe just a quick comment on, on that from you guys. Yeah. He's, he's been awesome. And now keep him with Bergeron. Like don't, don't, don't try to change the lines again. He, he obviously stepped up with Bergeron out both on and off the ice. Um, now let, let those two get clicking again. Like don't, yeah, don't, don't get cute. Jim. He is somehow drawn the narrative of him to being this mature, like level headed player this series. So, I mean, at the very least um, he's shown a side of him that was, different than what we've seen in the past. Like he's an emotional guy, but he's been able to hold it. Uh, to just keep it under wraps, keep it clean. And he's, he's looked better for sure in the playoffs than at the end of the regular season, the last 20 games of the regular season. Um, so yeah, he's looked good. This, this podcast could go on forever. I feel like there's so many things that, that were at play in game five. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But fortunately, for our listeners, we will not be going on forever. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll shut up now. <laughs> I, I want to go on forever because I finally have a computer that actually works. Oh, yeah, that's right. Look at you. You didn't lag once. Yeah, I thought you looked a lot clearer, Scott. This is crazy. Wow, it's no. like HD, HD McLaughlin. Got, got a new computer earlier this week and knock on wood, held up through the first podcast. So hopefully that'll be a better experience for everyone listening or watching. He told me if it worked, he was gonna throw his other lap- laptop off of his porch. So no, no, no. I said if balcony. I said if this one didn't work, I was gonna throw this oh. one off too. Oh, he was okay. He was gonna throw it. I know he was throwing something off the balcony. The, the other one's already in the trash. I was done with that one. That's you yeah, I mean, that, that's in the Merrimack River. <laughs> well, just kidding. Don't pollute kids. <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. Any closing thoughts? Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. Bridget? No. All right. So the Bruins are going to try to close the series out Friday night. I believe it's Friday night, right? 730? Yeah. 730. Right. Yes, unfortunately. I like the seven starts better. Yep. 
So, um, you know, we'll, you'll be hearing from us, win or lose. Uh, so thank you all for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.